what are the things that we can add together to achieve maximum productivity? And that starts with technology to figure out what we're measuring. What are we going to measure? How do we measure that? How do we add fancy math models to ter- determine are we meeting those objectives and then move forward? So it's, it's gizmos, it's artificial intelligence, it's, it's people, but most importantly, it's pig farmers and cow farmers talking to engineers. And that's, that's what we're trying to facilitate. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. AccuFast. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Start creating your future today at AccuFastSwine.com. FeedFlow. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Take control with FeedFlow. Adiseo. Provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. AB Vista. New nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. A worldwide leader in animal nutrition, Adiseo's portfolio of products includes methionine, the full range of vitamins, enzymes, organic selenium, probiotics, mycotoxin management strategies, and palatability products. With such a diverse offering, Adiseo supports its customers with a broad range of expertise, tools, and services to help them maintain a competitive advantage. Adiseo, fueling predictable profits. To learn more, visit Adiseo at www.adiseo.com. Hello, welcome to our latest SwineNet podcast today. I'm Jerry Purvis, your host, and today we have Dr. Jim Lowe. Uh, Dr. Lowe is Associate Dean and an Associate pa- uh, Professor at the College of Veterinary Medicine uh, at the University of Illinois. Uh, welcome today, Dr. Lowe. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Before we uh, dive into uh, our topics today, just wanted to uh, maybe tell us a little bit of something about uh, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, Jerry, I think, so I've been, this is here, what, eight or nine at the university, but I mean, I, I think I'm just a washed up pig farmer. Uh, spent most of my career working in, in pig production, veterinarian by training, but uh, came back and uh, really had some good opportunities to work through some stuff uh, here at the university, both research and teaching. We built an online master's program, been part of our EVP program here, our executive veterinary program, which has been going for 30 some years, uh, both as a graduate of that and teaching that. And then uh, recently started working down a path of how do we apply digital to veterinary medicine and um, how do we apply digital tools to veterinary medicine and how do we do that in a way that improves really how we deliver care and the outcomes for our clients and our, and our animals. And that's uh, it's a big thrust of what we're working on right now. Very good. I think that's, that's probably, in my opinion, uh, you know, as we went through COVID and how uh, medicine, the human side has evolved and, and now we've got telemed and how that's really changing uh, the, the changing how medicine is it, it administered and, and uh, we've got a lot of, I think the, you're a pretty good innovator uh, and I think we want to talk a little bit about what you're doing there and, and what you're working on uh, your, with your virtual uh, care hub. You want to talk a little bit about that and yeah, so we've been really fortunate. The university is um, 
very progressive and very capitalistic, which you wouldn't necessarily think of that. So we have an annual competition each year where we can put in and ask for centralized money to go build new programs. Uh, it's their innovate or their investments for growth. And so how do we grow the university, not just from a money standpoint, but from an impact standpoint? And so we've been we've been forced and we've had two of those funded. And the latest one is we initially called it the Virtual Care Hub. We're really calling it the Center for Veterinary Innovation. And the mission there is how do we go apply digital tools to improve veterinary care? And in the broadest sense, right? So everything from precision livestock farming to virtual care with, with our companion animal friends. And I'm a pig guy, right? So a lot of my interest is really what are we doing on the livestock side, particularly pigs and chickens, right? We think of those as the intensive industries in dairy. And so, you know, we're a top four or five ranked uh, engineering college in the universe, in the world, in the country. So we have a really, really powerful engineering group up on campus, real strength in computer science and electrical and computer engineering. And we've had a long track record of really good innovation on the extension side. And so we're a land grant. We're saying, how do we be an effective land grant the 21st century? And we're thinking about that broadly to say, how do I go get really smart people who got really good solutions, but don't understand our problems to come work on our problems. And the response has been fantastic. It's, it's really, really good. We had a meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, a 21st Century Animal Health Symposium. We had engineering there. We had ACES there, uh, College of Ag there, we had a couple of universities there. But most importantly, we had a lot of industry there um, talking about what can we do to blend these things together to innovate how we deliver care and how we improve productivity and health uh, of animals. So um, how did you uh, – where did this, this idea um, – Evolved. You just. Um, I'd like to tell you there's some great story that we were out drinking beer and figured it out, but um, there's no bar story on the background of this. So I, I think it's part of, um, you know, I'm kind of trained as a disease ecologist and epidemiologist. And so we've always dealt with data, been interested in how do we use data to make decisions in pig production for a long time. And I've had the Greg Bevere's in my life uh, who've been kind enough to mentor me and push me along and the Joe Connors and the Dale Polsons that have said, how do we, how do we think more systematically about pig production? And so really this is kind of an outcome of a lot of work and probably frustration more than anything that I see other industries being able to do things that we just can't do in animal ag. And how do we do that? We, we can do it. We have enough money. We have enough sense. We just have to figure out how to get it done. And so that's where it started. And so I think maybe the best example would be is, right, we do biological manufacturing. I mean, we don't want to talk about that, but we're, we're manufacturers. And we, we assemble grains and, and protein into muscle. And we do that through an animal. And so it's, it's an industrial manufacturing process. And every other industry that does manufacturing has industrial engineers and industrial engineers are the guys that measure the factory. They don't design the product. They don't assess the product. They measure the factory. And so, you know, production guys, veterinarians, well, some veterinarians, right? We've sat around and said, we really need to be more like industrial engineers to say, how do we measure the process? And so that's not the pig. That's how the pig's performing. That's how the pig's performing in the barn. 
with the given nutrition, with the, and how do all those things interact? And that's what industrial engineers do. They work out the interactions and how do those interactions come together? And that starts with measurement and, and then analysis and then process implementation. And so we're saying, well, we don't, we're not very good at that in animal ag, right? It's still kind of a craft business. Like we have a lot of people with a tremendous amount of skill. They're really, really good at the skill, but we don't measure that. We don't say, you know, how is Johnny better than Susie better than Jim? And what are the key bits of that? And we try to do that, but we've not done that. So that's really kind of where this started and said, I think we can be better. I think we can be a lot better. I think we can be a lot more efficient. If we just go get some of these whiz bang tools and put them in place. Now, there's been a lot of money coming to ag tech, precision animal farming, precision livestock farming, right? But that probably hasn't been as effective as one of us would like to see. And so we're just taking a step back and saying, how do we go put a bunch of smart people in the room and a bunch of people that understand the problems? And I think that's the big ticket, right? It's not just smart guys that can design solutions and then they come out and we can't figure out how to make it work on a pig farm, right? I've, I'm really fortunate to see a lot of new tech show up in my office every day and people are like, oh, well, you should do this. And I'm like, well, that's not going to work. And they're like, why? Well, the problem doesn't matter and it isn't going to survive in a third world country. So I don't think that gizmo is going to work. And so, right, you were all tired of that. And so how do we solve that? And when you go back to the engineers and you say, listen, guys, here's really what we need. And this is where we're at. They're like, oh, we can solve that. And engineers, engineers love one thing and that's solving problems. And so how do we, how do we get them to come help us? And we got a world-class business school that's really good at outreach. How do we get them to come help us think about the business process and how do we innovate the business process and how do we get that implemented? And so we're trying to bring the power of the entire university to our little problems in animal ag. And we're pretty excited about that. So you think the detriment to, to getting this done is in the past uh, and we're falling behind maybe other uh, where we're seeing it, being uh, accepted is just the collaboration of getting the right people uh, working on the, the problems that we have. I think it's all, colla- yeah, it's all, that's Jerry, that's exactly right. It's all collaboration. And, and, and understand the perspective of where, you know, we've got the problems and how we're looking at the problems. Yeah. So if, if I'm a startup and I'm going out and design this new technology and I walk into your farm and I try to sell it to you and you're like, it won't work because this, 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 and this. They've invested time and money and emotional effort to put that thing together, right? They're in love with it. And yet, and I understand that, right? We're all that way. This is my thing. I love it. It's my baby. And then they show up at Jerry and Jerry's like, oh, that ain't going to work. Like, and it's not, you're wrong. It ain't going to work. And so it's how do we take that it ain't going to work early in the process and let all that creative juice go into something that is going to work, that does have value, and changes how we can raise pigs. And and some of this is pretty simple, right? We don't integrate data very well. Yeah. Well, you know, you made a good point. It, it's like uh, we've got some really good uh, technology, and then but they really maybe haven't looked at uh, or collaborated with a guy in the, in the barn, you know, that really understands. Well, how is this going to you know, how's this going to even work in this barn? Uh, and what we are we even look like you said, are we even looking at the right things? I think sometimes one of those is, does it work for the user? 
Does the guy does the guy touching the pig? Can he use it? Does it work for them? Does it give them the information, or is it just another task for them today? There, there's there's a whole bunch of user experience stuff that we're not always very good at. Okay, we got to fix that. And then I think you brought up another topic. Are we even working on the right stuff? Are we actually prospect? Do we understand the system well enough? Do we have the mathematical models of the system? You know, none of us love math. Well, some of us do, but but most people are like, oh, that's complicated math. But right, General Motors when they're making cars, I'm going to tell you a secret. They got a they got a full model that they can tell you if they tweak this, what it does to the rest of the production system, and not just the cost. And we have a lot of companies that have really good cost models. If I change the space allocation, what does it do to cost? I'm talking about how does the process change? Okay, I'm going to change this bit. And so what does that do to the third step in time? And how does that change what this guy has to do? And wait a minute, we got to rearrange the machine this way. They can do all that mathematically. And we're not there. That's kind of step one to me. And that's helping us understand what, what do we measure? Right? I don't know if we measure. Like, I think we're pretty confident. We do a lot of stuff measuring finishing, right? Well, I, I'm not sure that measuring finishing matters. That's an outcome. What I really probably need to measure is what happened in utero. <sighs> right? And we can. Uh, what do we do that? How do we do that? Those are all questions that can be tackled. Yeah. You know, I, I gave the analogy. It's like uh, a lot of times we're, we're given the box score for the game. We understand the box score. We understand, you know, this guy got this many hits. This pitcher, he struck out this many. But how did we – could we have known something that might have – we could have used in that game that have, had changed the outcome? You know, if we knew the, the pitcher was – his arm was tiring or, you know, is there – Yeah, even the matchup thing, right? right? So, we, if we look – baseball is a great analogy, right? If you look at Moneyball and Billy Bean, and he had to bring a guy in from outside of baseball to change, right? If you look at what's going on in Houston right now, Jeff Lunow did all that and realized he's had some issues, but he really got analytics and he said, we're going to assess the value of a player differently. Okay, so that was step one. And then step two was, right, now we've got all these advanced metrics, F-war and if feeling independent, feeling independent ERA and, and launch angles and right. So they started looking at batting averages or feeling independent, Speed, you know, turn on the pitchers. Yeah. Then, yeah. And then, yeah. Then we started looking at spin rates and all this, uh, all this other stuff. Right. So now we can predict that this swing actually leads to a better outcome than that swing. Right. And we're also now I've given the manager in the game analytics to say, this pitcher in this situation against this batter has this probability of getting a hit versus this batter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's predictive analytics, and we're not there. We're kind of, as you said, we got the box score. We measured what happened yesterday. And we think the future is, how do I get to what's going to happen tomorrow? How do I predict what's going to happen? And that's just fancy math. And we got a lot of people who can do fancy math. We just got to talk them to doing our projects. That's right. I was thinking, uh, you know, a lot of times we have, uh, you know, it's a big problem. Sales go off feed, you know, in, in the Farrell house. And, and, you know, and I've walked through a bunch and uh, it seems you always, it seems like it, it ends up being a lot of times a locomotive problem issue. 
Uh, and and how do we measure that? Even going back to the gilts that we select, you know, are there, are there ways we, you know, things that we could pick out about her gait that would be like, like you said, predictive to how long she's going to be in the herd. You know, it's, it's can we- I, I think off feed and it's a really interesting problem to me, Jerry, because it has two ramifications. I can think of immediate prediction future. What's that going to do the weight gain of her pigs and finishing? How many days is this going to add to finishing? Therefore, what's going to happen to carcass weights as I'm running the business? And do I need to plan more space because those sows or a percentage of those sows went off feet? How does it change? I would That's predictive analytics to say, do I need to run my finishing operation differently? Do I need to pen them differently? Right? I can think about all those. The other thing is, what's the consequence five months from now when I want her to come back around in Pharaoh? What's the probability at service, and so we've done a bunch of math, and, and a grad student is back on faculty now, Ben Blair, who's published a paper, right? We can predict, with not as much precision as we like, and not in real time, but mathematically, we can predict the number of pigs per service for an individual sow. Now, what would make that model a lot more efficient? Hey, what did she, how much did she eat in the lactation, right? The more data we feed into that model, now we can start to say, wait a minute, if I need 100 pigs a week, how many, which sows, not how many, which sow should I be mating to produce that hundred pigs? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There's, that's, we don't measure well enough to do that today, but there's certainly some glimmers of hints in the data sets that the math works if we measured more. And so that, that's the kind of future stuff we're thinking about of how, how do we become engineers? How do we become production engineers, not industrial engineers? Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, we, you know, we've got a finite amount of space. So we got so many sows that we can breed this week that we can, that we can farrow this week. And, uh, you know, are we, are we actually even breeding the right, most prolific sows, you know, but how do we, how do we identify them? What is the, you know, well, yeah, I think, to me, the challenge is, right, if you go look at it, we're, farms are good today, right? We got a lot of farms that are supposed to breed 100. They breed 100. But those 100 sows aren't as likely to produce the same number of wean pigs. So some weeks, those 100 sows produce 1,000 wean pigs, and some weeks, they produce 1,200 wean pigs, and some weeks, they produce 1,400 wean pigs. And so what I really like is, is that number to be the same every week. And so then I can say, wait a minute, this week I need to breed 100, and next week I need to breed 84, and the next week I to breed 96 based upon who I'm breeding. And that's kind of the holy grail to me. And if you're really holy graily, I would say, wait a minute, I now know how fast those pigs to grow, so I don't need 1,200 wean pigs. What I really need is this many kilos of carcass. And so therefore, I breed this sow, and this many days from now I get this many kilos of carcass. Now, we're way off of that. We're not there yet. That's what another factory could do. If I do this at the beginning, this is the output. And it's that kind of measurement modeling manipulation that really helps us fine tune and tweak that system over time. Yeah. You know, I, I keep kind of getting uh, a granular, but uh, I think about all the applications uh, of if we, we could, you know, figure out this and, and that and, and, and be able to really measure and predict uh, as you say, then we know as, as we make this input change, you know, what's going to be the outcome change. And that's where you got to get in, uh, you know, some of these some of these models and be able to, to really put some numbers behind it. Uh, I, I think there's a really cool parallel on the crop side, 
Jerry, that going here, multi-institutional, how it's just looking out my window, I can see it. So there's a right project, is RIP, and it's about re-envisioning photosynthesis. And so Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation funded it, um, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred scientists across the globe working on it. Well, what they said is a corn plant, maximum productivity on a corn plant is X. We are only capturing 12% of that or some magic number today. What's the best path to optimizing all 100% of that? And so they said, you know what? It's photosynthesis. We should re-engineer photosynthesis. So they're literally re-engineering how the freaking plant works to do that. And so it's that kind of a model to me to say, what's the maximum productivity we could achieve? And we're not going to re-engineer photosynthesis, but what what are the things that we can add together to achieve maximum productivity? And that starts with technology to figure out what we're measuring. What are we going to measure? How do we measure that? How do we add fancy math models to ter- determine are we meeting those objectives and then move forward? So it's it's gizmos, it's artificial intelligence, it's it's people, but most importantly, it's pig farmers and cow farmers talking to engineers. And that's, that's what we're trying to facilitate. Do you think there's been a, uh, I know it seemed like uh, in agriculture, I found it, uh, like you said, it, 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 there's an idea of, of moving from a craft to maybe uh, using more uh, analytical and using those those technologies, you think there's just been a pushback or um, just a, a failure to accept technology, maybe like some of the other industries, or is it just a, a fact that that we it's been hard to uh, or a lack of collaboration between the two? Uh, I think I think it's I don't think it's an a lack of desire to use technology, Jerry. I don't think it's that at all. I think pig farmers, just go look at how we run ventilation. We figured that out really, really quickly, right? Like, hey, we got sophisticated computers running those. I think it's been that we haven't integrated the technologies in a way that really creates value. So the ventilation controller is a good example to me, right? Like the old TC5, which I, you know, blue moon ago, the old AeroStream TC5, that old... That sucker did everything right. It wasn't very fancy, but it worked, right? And now we've got whatever your latest and greatest machine you want to put in there, right? I'm agnostic to which one you use. It basically does what the TC5 did. A little fancier, the push buttons are better. But it hasn't necessarily changed the environment in that building. And so we kind of get stuck down paths, and that controller would work, right? I don't care which fancy-smancy controller you've got. But if that data is feeding back into a model where we're really measuring things and we're measuring the right things, in theory, that thing comes together. Well, what's the barrier? Well, we're not very good at internet in rural spots. So we've got some really grounding barriers. Why does it work in crop production? Well, because the tractor moves. So even if I don't have internet in the field, at some point I'll get back to a spot I can upload that. I think we've adopted it in crops because I've got theoretically one tractor and one combine and I can put all the sensors on the metal and I take the, I take the sensors to every field. Well, in pigs, I got 500 finisher barns and I got to put a sensor in every barn. Well, that's more expensive. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
And so, right. And now costs come down, et cetera, et cetera. But there, I think those are the barriers. I don't think the barriers are that pig farmers are tech, tech phobes. They are uh, not smart enough to use it. They don't get it. Oh, I think they get it. I think what we've not done is create a solution that's compelling, that actually changes outcomes. Change, it's commodity business. We can't just add cost. It's got to beat cost out of the system. Yeah, you got you got to put you put in a dollar. You, you know, you're expecting to get a better return on that dollar, and and uh, you're going to put your money where the better returns are. And, and uh, so, as, as you move forward with this project, um, how do you see that changing? Uh, how vets interact? Well, I think I think it's no secret we've got a huge challenge with vets in rural America. Um. Vets continue to go small animal side. They can be compensated very, very well there. Most of our students are from urban areas, as is society, right? Our, our, student, our applicants probably match society pretty well. And we would say that here in the U.S., in, in Illinois. And so we have fewer and fewer rural people. We have fewer and fewer rural veterinarians. We have fewer people who can go back to rural areas. So that includes pig practice and cattle practice and chicken practice, right? So I think our challenge is over time, as people, old people like me continue to, to, to slow down in the profession, is how do we get more work out of fewer veterinarians and not kill them? You know, right? I, at one point in my life, right, the running joke was is that you can't redecorate your truck, so just get a fresh one every year because after 80,000 miles, you're pretty tired of it. Um, you can't look at the same dashboard and dining table and everything else all the time. And so I think this model that we're going to drive 80,000 miles a year and drive all over and do all these crazy things, that's probably not sustainable. And so how do we use tech to make the delivery of that care a better for the veterinarian? So part of that's FaceTime, right? I, I laugh. We're all excited about telemedicine after that. I'm like, well, gee, we've been doing that as long as we had internet service for years, I got tired of driving. I said, turn the, turn the camera around. Let's look at pigs service guy. And it works great, right? You can talk to them, like all that stuff works. It's taking the next step of that. And so how do we give veterinarians the tools they need to help make those decisions? And you're seeing some spots, right? Easy Pig is in that space out trying to do stuff. Behringer had Farmera. They're out trying to help capture some data. Summit Smart Farms is trying to help get some data and pull that. And I'm probably missing some. You've got Swine tech saying, how do we go get that data by Matthew Ruta's group with pig flow in the fairing house? And how do we get some behavior data, right? We're really saying, how do we capture human behavior data? And then how do we integrate that back together and give the veterinarian a spot to say, listen, I can predict it's the same thing. Pig, pig owner wants to know how many pounds, how many kilos of pork are coming out the back end. The veterinarian really needs to know where are pigs likely to get sick? Now, where are they sick? We're kind of at where they are sick today. Where are they likely to get sick? And then how do I analyze what's causing that so I can actually prevent it? Because, you know, right now we're going to go treat them. Okay, fine. But the big value is how do I give the veterinarian the tools to understand what factors are actually driving that sickness so I can reduce that sickness so I've got less work to do. And that's going to take tech to do that. And I think that's the frontier of veterinary care. Now, the challenge is, is that many of our veterinarians are not real keen on math. And so we're going to have to figure out how do we get people that are good math people, good computer guys in computer programs is math, right? How do we get that math and logic guys married up with veterinarians so that they're working on the right problems together? 
And that's that's one of our big things we're working through. Yeah, you made a good point there is attracting, you know, now we, uh, and I guess you're talking, uh, you've seen vet students that probably more, there's less, as you said, coming from the rural. So to actually have farm experience, maybe coming from a farm. But, you know, we know millennials, you know, they value time, having time off. They're not, uh, they're not, they won't work 60 hours a week. They rather have, you know, uh, it's just what we value. So, nobody's going to go into something, a young person, knowing they're going to have to work, you know, the hours or log the miles that you're talking about. Uh, it's just a burnout. So, yeah, and I think very much reality, right? Like if I go to small animal practice today in an urban area, I can work four days a week, never have emergency because they, we've adopted the human care model in, in small animal companion medicine, right? We have an emergency clinic. When they walk out the door at five o'clock, those cases go to the emergency room. And I think it's fantastic. It's good for the pet. It's good for the veterinarian, right? Everybody's making money. Everybody's happy. And because of this kind of increase in demand in pet care following the pandemic, right, it's pretty shocking the amount of care. It's not more pets. It's the care that's being demanded of those pets. You know, small veterinarians are making 50% more than our rural colleagues are. And I know the cost of living is less. But now if I go to rural USA and I don't care if I'm working on pigs because, you know, pig farmers do call on the weekend. I don't have a lot of emergencies, but on Sunday morning, there's sick pigs. I got to deal with it. And I grew up with that. And so, well, OK, this is what you do. Right? I don't know any different. People call me on Sunday. I mean, it's just your veterinarian is supposed to do. But as you said, we have a, we have a generation of veterinarians who your choice is I can go work for Jerry Purvis, pig farmer. And Jerry's going to call me on Sunday morning and deal with these things. Or I can go work in small animal and work four days a week and never work at night and make 50% more. It's not a real long conversation today. And so we got to solve. That's one of the problems we got to solve because we got to provide care to pigs. How do we do it? How do we do it in a way that lets everybody do that? If we're going to spend less time, we got to be more efficient in how we, how we work and uh, make perfect sense. And, and, and that's, you know, it, it, I don't care what industry you look at now, the labor force is, is finding people. You know, it's just tough to find people. Uh, and, and and there's always, it seems like, as you say, the farm, that farmer, you know, average farmer, farm manager is probably going to spend 50, 60 hours. There's just not a lot of people that, that's really willing to sign up for that today. And it's uh, where, you know, we're going to have to be more efficient if we're going to attract good people to stay in our industry or to even come in our industry. I, I was in had the good fortune of being in Denmark last week and have some old friends there and got to go to see some pigs and run a 4,200 South farm, big farm, right, for Denmark. And they have a completely separate crew on the weekend. They don't farrow on the weekend. They manipulate their weaning schedule. So they farrow, you know, they farrow the, the, the beginning of the week, breed the end of the week, you know, blah, blah, blah. They manipulated their schedule around using a little bit of matrix to move farrowings around so that they can, they got to give the farm crew the weekend off. And so it's not a great tech example, but it is an example of like, we got to think out of the box here, kids. And, and technology is part of that thinking out of the box, right? I mean, that was one of the discussions we had of them like, okay, how can you make this? How can you be more predictive of what's going to happen so you can schedule labor better because they're still getting caught a little bit on weekends. And so, okay, can we figure this out? What sales and what are we going to do? And so we're working on some math with those guys. But I think those are the things we have to think. We we are going to have to – we can't do what Grandpa did. 
And we are doing what grandpa did, right? But we really can't do what I did as a, you know, I've been doing this 30 years now. What I started with in West Central Illinois 30 years ago looks nothing like what we're doing today. And I think mean, I've told a lot of people that it's gonna, there's been a lot of change. The industry's been really, really good to me, right? I mean, I, I got to ride this whole wave of consolidation and figuring and I have had absolutely a blast for 30 years being a pig veterinarian and a pig farmer. Just a freaking blast. But I think we're going to have more change in the next 10 years than we had in the last 30. I totally agree. That uh, You know, just just thinking about the changes that we've seen in the probably last five years in technology, uh, it's just amazing what that's going to look like in 10, 15 years down the road as, as we start to merge some of this. And, and like you said, taking these, maybe been able to model some of these things and be able to predict. It's always cheaper to prevent something than it is to, you know, to have to treat. Uh, and that's where I think we're, we're, we're behind, the, as we've talked about today, we're behind the, we want to get into the predictive stage uh, better than, than, than having to deal with the outcome after it happens and then trying to figure it out. And I think as we think about where consumers going to demand, right, we're going to demand better welfare, we're going to demand, we know those things are coming, right? They're probably here. Um you know, I, I think, and I realize I'm a veterinarian, but I think our bias is is that the biggest negative welfare is death, and a lot of that is disease. And so, I think the argument around how do we predict those things coming, how do we prevent, is a real story for us to help work on the welfare side at the same. I think there's a lot of benefits, so we can think about how do we beat out costs. But the other bit is is that I tell the vet I tell the vet students right, like. We have a perfect alignment here. Improving welfare, improved productivity, lowers cost. Truly improving welfare. And I don't mean dog and pony show welfare, right? Like I, you could argue Prop 12 is dog and pony show welfare, right? But like truly improving the state of being, as Stan Curtis would say about that animal, there is nobody in this industry that says that pig isn't going to grow better. He isn't going to be more profitable. And so I think there's a chance for us to align all that and tech's going to have to be part of that solution. You know, and I think that's a great point, Jim. Uh, it's almost, I think the public seems like, well, we're imposing something on producers they don't want to do. But as you say, you know, if we have a, if we have better welfare, we have better health, that animal's going to be more productive. So it's counterintuitive, you know, um, for us to, we would want as producers, you know, to have better welfare and to treat our animals better. It's more productive. It's more profitable. It's 100%, you know, right? So we have a lot of vet students that don't know anything about never been on a farm. One of the things we do is first year is I take them all to a pig farm. That makes me nervous, right? But when I can start talking through the idea that welfare and profit are linked, and I don't mean your perception of welfare. I mean actual better welfare. The pig's happier. And Wayne Paselli, the head of... of uh, that's data supported. I mean, that's right. Are they happy? Right. And so, and it's a goofy metric, right? But I'm looking for happy pigs. Tech's got to be part of that solution because we got to know what's happening. And, and I'm not trying to be anthropomorphic about being happy pigs, but like, I don't know how it's better to frame it. But that pigs that's comfortable in doing things is better for all of us. And tech's going to be, and that, that's probably where we can figure out how to create, make some money using tech. Yeah. 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 I think the behavior, you know, we walk in a barn, 
you know, however many minutes or whatever we, we look at that pen. But we don't know what happened the other 23 hours and 30 minutes, you know, and, and, and what, what's transpired as you mix animals and, and just what is the. And, and I think, Jerry, you've been doing this a long time. I think if one of us go in a barn, we got a pretty good sense of what's going on. But we, we have many, many employees, and I didn't know everything at 24. I didn't have the same sense I have at 54. That, right, that I don't think anybody that works wants to not have those pigs comfortable. But they may not know. And so how do we use – that's where it gets it away from the craft thing. And the only way craft things work is you got to do it for 30 years, right? It's experience. And so can we supplement the craft with tech to assure those things? And, oh, I can get Johnny up to speed faster or Susie up to speed faster because – I've augmented what they're doing. Right. You know, so Jim, I, uh, I know as you, you, you think out, uh, you're an innovator. Where do you, where do you think, uh, or where do you see this maybe going? Uh, and, and, uh, where this gets to where, you know, where we, if, if you move forward and, uh, we are able to collaborate, those, what, what do you think is going to be some of the outcomes? I think what you're going to see is fairly rapid progression on integration of the data we have, Jerry. So there's a bunch of stuff there. We just got to get it in the right hands of the right people to say, how do we have a more holistic view of the system? That I think is probably step one. I think step two, there's a lot of work being done with, with camera vision. And we're going to figure out some ways to use camera vision to do some really useful stuff like, how do we assess comfort of wean pigs post weaning and what is that what impact does that have on lifetime performance? There's some good biological information, right, that would say in some of that Billy Flowers' pack on that a couple of three weeks ago, right? We can predict lifetime performance, basically what happens in the first four or five weeks of life. Okay, so we all know that. Okay, so how do we assess that? What are the tools? I think people are, and there's people working in that space, right? So now it's how do we get those people hooked up with some people who actually know what they should be looking for and get that done. And I think you're going to see some of that. And those will be the early kind of steps to say it won't fix it, but it gives you as a pig owner the knowledge you need to go intervene sooner. And step one will be intervening sooner. Step two will be, hey, it's going to break. Yo, yo, it's going to break. Go fix it. And so, right, if we think about, like, even machinery stuff, right, we initially said, oh, this is what we measured what was going on in the planter. And now we got sensors on bearings to know when the bearing is going to go out on the tractor. That was step two, right? Like, hey, the tractor is going to break. And so I think we're going to measure more carefully and we'll figure that out. And then we'll get to a predictive point to start to say it's going to break. It's not broken. And I, and I think most of that's going to be early life stuff. That's where it's likely to have the biggest impact. Obviously, there's been a lot of work on how do we measure pigs going to slaughter and cameras and scales. And I'm not very encouraged by that. There's a lot of technical barriers there, a lot of expense barriers. It's pretty hard to capture value. Um, there's been a bunch of stuff around disease detection and, you know, cough monitors and that kind of stuff. I'm not super encouraged in that space. I think it's expensive and hard. Um, does it work? Yes, it works. That's not a question. It's just expensive and hard to do at scale. 
So I, I think you're going to see some some things that, okay, they're in the fairing house or they're in the wiener barns and I move them and we're going to figure out some of that stuff. But it's going to start with data integration. We're going to figure out how to do data integration and then you're going to start to see these next bits. Yeah, thank you. It's, you made a good point. It's, it's key. We got to figure out what are the metrics that we should be looking at and then how do we, what are the interventions now? We know this this is a big impact. Uh, on that pig's lifetime or that sow's guilt's lifetime, you know, what can we do now to to counterbalance some of those negatives and, and try to reverse that outcome and or make that outcome better? Yeah, I think my holy grail short term would be, I just don't want to have fights with the nutritionist because we know part of the time, right, like expensive nursery diet is required and part of the time it's absolutely not required. And so Figuring that out, like, hey, those pigs are highly at risk. We need to put another 50 cents in feed in those pigs. It's like that kind of stuff, right? Like, that, it, I think they're going to be kind of small things like, hey, we got a sensor. And instead of chasing them with 27 pounds of tetracycline, we're going to put 50 cents of feed because that group's going to go bad. Right. And so right. I'm going to feed them a more digestible diet. Yeah, that's right. I'm not going to add a, it's going to be little stuff like that. That's where it's going to start. And then it'll, you know, it'll be a hockey stick. It'll be slow, slow, fight it, fight it. And then all of a sudden it'll be like, here we go. We got it, boys. But like you said, I think the outcome is, is, is number one, it's better for the pigs. It's, uh, it's going to be better for the producer. Uh, the producer is going to actually save money. You know, as you start uh, to maybe, uh, fine-tune some of these things we use rather than just doing it across the board. And, and the consumer. The consumer is going to be is going to be happier. Uh, they're going to have more faith and they're going to be uh, they're going to see that, that welfare is, is getting better. So I think it's a win. It's a win for everybody. It's got to be good for the pig and make money for the producer. And if the tech doesn't meet that standard, we shouldn't be doing it. And I, and I really believe that. And, and that's that's kind of the first challenge. What meets those two criteria? Yeah, I think sometimes the public doesn't realize that, uh, you know, there's a cost to whatever we, if, if the consumer says, I want pigs, you know, raised out on, on dirt or wherever, you know, or, and, uh, you know, there is a cost to that and they got to be willing. I think there's a, there's a disconnect between what they say they want and what they will pay for <laughs> sometimes. And I've always made the statement, right? Like, I'll do anything you pay me. And then I realized that's almost inappropriate. So no, 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 that's not actually true. I won't do anything. But in terms of raising pigs, right? Like, sure, you want me to give them 47 square feet and pat them three days, three times a day and put lotion on their nose? Great. Here's what it cost. Oh, that's not what we want. Okay. Well, I'm not going to do that. But yeah, it, it's that balance of figuring those things out and figuring out how do we do it and how do we make our systems more profitable and sustainable? I love McDonald's definition of sustainability, being able to do tomorrow what you did today. And so, and part of that is social license to operate. Part of that's profitability. <laughs> but if it's not profitable, it doesn't matter what your social license is. And if you have a social, if you don't have a social license, then it doesn't matter how profitable it is. You got to make those two things go together. And that, that's our sustainability bucket. It's not carbon. It's not welfare. It's, is it profitable in, do we have a social license to operate? And I think that's what our fit's got to be. 
Yeah, I think, you know, most producers, I mean, they, they've lived, a lot of them are multi-generational uh, farmers and they, they, they love, they want they want their land to be left to their to their offspring. They, they want to improve. Uh, but we've got to, you know, it's a, it's a balance is what can we, can we do reasonably and, uh, you know, and economically. I laugh when everybody pushes back like, well, we should, I don't know, we should change. Like, well, do you use a horse to plow the field? Well, no. Well, then you got overchange a while ago. Let's move on. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time-consuming and requires technical know-how. But don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Cloud Farms, swine management to the next level. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Feed Flow is changing the way the swine industry sees feed. As the world's only on-pipe feed sensor, FeedFlow tells you exactly how much feed is being delivered to your animals, so you can be sure that every pig in your barn is well-fed and growing. With industry-leading precision and up-to-the-minute real-time data and alerts, FeedFlow is a simple and affordable way to improve production outcomes across your organization. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Try FeedFlow today. Our time's really neat, nah, but uh, we w- want to talk about a little bit about the uh, the integration of college, and we talked a little bit about this in industry, uh, of, of academia and industry, and, and how do you, um, what are some of the, the uh, how colleges are doing that, or how how we should be moving maybe uh, to, to, to working closer together with, with industry and academia? Yeah, it's, you know, academia has really changed over the years, Jerry, right? Because originally, we had money from the federal government that paid the land grants to do research. And it was not grants. We just got a, it's called Smith lever money or not Smith lever. I've got the wrong hatch money. It just appeared. So we had money to do research and we did that. And that was really the model for a really, really long time. And that money still exists, but it hasn't grown in 20 or 30 years. And so academia today is grant driven. Like everybody's out doing grants and we're getting grant money. And if we don't have grant money, we can't fund faculty and this kind of stuff. State funding dropped off as well, right? So we don't have the states writing the same check. And so we've got, you know, right to where tuition driven institutions today and not. And I think that hollowed out our land grant, all the land grants to varying degrees, some way more than others. But it hollowed out our ability or maybe desire or both to really go work with industry and move things forward. And that was really historically, right? The land grants were here and it was about useful and practical, creating useful and practical knowledge and disseminating it amongst the people who need it. 
if you go back and look at the Morrill Act and, and Smith-Lever Act, which which funded these things, that's the, the Smith-Lever Act is the one that created extension. That was about the dissemination piece. And so we had this really 1862 forward Morrill Act that said we should be creating useful and practical knowledge. And I think sometimes academia gets sidetracked. Maybe not sometimes, maybe a lot of the time. We, we forget the useful or the practical part. And so I think there's been a real renaissance in the land grants, again, some more than others. And I think we've been really fortunate here in Illinois. We've got our chancellor on the campus is a land grant guy. Spent his entire career at Minnesota. He's a crop breeder. Spent his entire career at Minnesota, Mississippi State grad. Um, crop guy, but ag guy. And so he said, listen, my family's different because of land grants. We need to be a land grant for the 21st century. And I think, and I see that more amongst all of them, and I'm just, just what we're doing here at Illinois. But I think there's a real commitment to say, how do we go back to useful and practical and how do we disseminate it amongst the people that need it? And that's why we were founded. And I think that's a challenge to the institutions. It's also a challenge to industry to say, hold us accountable to that and say, are you solving our problems? And be in our kitchen. Now, the converse to that is because of the funding model, I don't have free research money like I had when we were doing hybrid corn. So the hybrid corn model was USDA and the land grants all got together and said, each of you are going to develop straight line hybrids that are adapted to your state and you're going to give those to local farmers and they're going to breed that corn into an F1 hybrid to sell. And we're going to go help. And they brought the business skills to the farmers to produce that. They, they continued to do the genetic improvement. And that was all funded by USDA through Smith Lever and Hatch type money. We don't have that money anymore. That doesn't exist. We've decided as a society, that's not, we're going to find institutions. So it's, I think it's upon industry to hold us accountable, but by the same token to doing useful and practical things, it's also to say, listen, we're big business in it. And if we're going to, get what we need out of that, we need to write a check. And we're going to have to help fund some of that and figure out how we fund some of that. And I know university salaries, it appears we have a lot of ridiculous things, but we've been pleasantly surprised at the response to our work of saying, hey, yeah, we can get that done for you and hear what it's going to cost. And they look at you, and we've been doing a bunch of, you know, kind of, you might call it consulting work for, for firms working on technology. And they look at us and go, that's all. I said, well, yeah, we're cost recovery. We, I can't charge you a profit. We're a state institution. We have to do it at cost. And some of our costs are ridiculous, but there's no margin. And so it's, it's saying, how do we continue to come back and work together on those things and build those alliances and get that stuff done? And it's a two-way street, but it is upon the institutions, the university institutions, to get out of the freaking pointy head club and show up in industry and say, hey, what are we doing? And obviously, that's where I come from. Those are my people. I'm not the pointy head club. In fact, I get looked at funny in the pointy head club. But, but, but I think that's that's the opportunity, and I think that's what we're trying to commit to. And and I really see that across a lot of other institutions here. I mean, there is a renewed energy to go do that today. Yeah, I've seen uh, here. I've been in North Carolina. Uh, NC State does a great job in and in, uh, in, in interacting uh, with extension people and interacting and trying to get out in, with the producers and, and find, like as you say, finding those problems and helping to solve those problems. And and, and there's so many ways you can and the academia can look at things that that uh, you can't look in a large you know system and you can't 
you know, identify and, and, and be able to nitpick and figure figure out what's going on. But uh, there's a lot of discovery that, that, that happens in, in academia uh, that that is a tremendous, you know, benefit. And then we take, you know, we find a discovery or a concept and then you can take it in the industry and we can figure out, you know, we do a good job figuring out how it works in, in a field setting. But uh, we just don't have the means or the uh, sometimes the uh, don't have the money sometimes or focus are able to really look at some of those problems. So I think there's a big uh, win for all of us if, if we can collaborate better and and and, and people are going to, you know, our, our community, everybody's going to win when we, we figure these problems out. Yeah, you know, I think perfect example is we use soybeans and pigs, soybean meal and pigs. Because the ADM people had these soybeans and they wanted oil after World War II. And they came to the, came to, they're 40 miles down the road from us. They say, hey, we got all this. What do we do with this stuff? Really practical problem. Like, hey, we've got all this byproduct. We need to sell it because it doesn't work. What do we do with it? And, and, you know, Dr. Becker just put it in pigs and said, hey, holy Toledo, this stuff's fantastic. And so it's the great stuff always happens when somebody who has a real problem brings it to somebody else and then takes it back to them. And it's that, that loop. And I think that's what we've got to continue to reinvigorate. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, like I said, in a farm, we have people that are skilled in, in farm aspects and, and farrowing and, and, uh, breeding, uh, you know, we've got accountants, but we don't have the people, we need the experts in this problem. And the expert and the experts need the guy in the farm who may not have an eighth grade education to help them suss out really what the issue is. Because that, that guy that's touching the pig or that lady that's touching the pig knows a whole lot more than anybody else about what the real issue is. You just got to get it out of them. Yeah. If you want to, I, I've, I've said this a hundred times. If you want to find out how to fix a problem, go to the barn and talk to the guy that's in there every day. And uh, he'll tell you what the problem is, and he'll tell you how to fix it. Yes. You just got to be smart enough to listen to it. That's right. We got, like I said, we, we, we got to listen more and, and talk less and seem like, you know, we think we we uh, we need to find out and listen more and, and, and figure out what those people are saying. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. That's right. I was getting ready to say that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's very true. Well, Jim, I, I've enjoyed our time here today, and uh, – I tell you, I appreciate the work you're doing, and uh, I look forward to seeing. Uh, I think this is a uh, it's very pertinent to our time. You know, we we're, we're talking about resources and whether it's people or uh, nutrients, whatever. We're, we're all have going to have to deal work with less and and figure out how to be more efficient. And I think this is a great uh, innovative tool that uh, will allow that and will help us. Uh, so I, I really appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing what, what's coming down the pipeline. You're welcome, and thanks for the opportunity. It was uh, really enjoyed to get to talk about this. Day. It's, it's fun for me to talk about and think about these things. Yeah, that's very true. Yep. All right, sounds good. Thank you. The journey of a hero has challenges, battles, and villains. But after the fight is won, new paths are open. 
and it's time to catch our breath and move forward. More powerful and super than ever. And you, hero of the swine industry, do you have your cape ready to take new flights? Swine Talks 2023, December 6th and 7th. Together, we're more super than any obstacle.